You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. I'm thankful to be here on this Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the theme uh, for Friday and today has been scenes from the garden. And um, as a church, uh, as Ray was mentioning, we've been going through the book of Genesis. And we see everything begin with a garden, a perfect garden, uh, a garden full of plenty. But then we see that garden also become a place where there is death and sin and shame and where they're no longer welcome in the garden, and they are forced out of the garden and out of the presence of God. Um, we've been studying that for uh, chapters 3 through 11. We're, we're pretty depressing, right? Uh, but we got to chapter 12 a few weeks ago, and we see that there's hope. There's one to come. Who will be this one? Genesis 3.15, there had also been this promise of one who would come, who would reverse the curse, who would have victory over death, who would defeat Satan. Who would this one be? Well, as we come into this Easter season, we last week, on, on Friday, we talked about the Garden of Gethsemane, that um, while Jesus is there, he has to make a choice. Will he do his own will, as has been the case over and over and over again by mankind? Will he rebel against the will of the Father, or will he submit to the Father? And there is this battle that happens in the garden, and as he is watchful, and as he prays and cries out to God, he says this, not my will, but yours be done. And as a result of that, he goes to the cross, he is crucified, and then he dies. These things are important for us here this morning. These are not just a story that we tell. This is not some kind of fable. These are facts of history. These are things that if we believe them, then we will have life. And we want to pick up this morning, we want to get into another garden. We want to pick up from, from Jesus after he had died. What happened after that? When we're going to see another garden on both Friday and Sunday, this is where this scene will turn to. And so as we study this morning, I, I want to just uh, take a moment to pray, and then we're going to study God's word together. So let me pray for us. Lord God, we do thank you for this time together this morning. Lord, many in this room have seen that you are Lord that you are God, that Jesus Christ is the great Savior. And for that, we worship you this morning. Lord, we did not deserve it. Our sins had separated us from you, and our rebellion, we had run from you. And Lord, if it was not for your grace, if it was not for your mercy, if it was not for your love, all of us would die owing a debt, an eternal debt to you, and forever we would be separated. But Jesus came. He died, he was buried, and he has risen again. And he sits at the right hand of the Father this morning. We believe that, Lord, to be true. I pray this morning, if there are those here who do not yet know these things, who have not yet 
believed on you, God, would you be gracious to them? Would you cause them to be born again? Would you cause them to become your child? Lord, all of us at one time were enemies of you because of our sin, but because of Christ, we can become the children of God. What an awesome, awesome grace. What an awesome mercy you have shown to us. Lord, we love you. I pray now that you would lead this preacher, help him to speak your word well, help him to say it the way you want him to say it, Lord, for your glory and for your honor. It's your name we pray, amen. All right, we all need a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and slip up your hand. And um, we want to make sure that the preacher is actually teaching something from this book, right? The Bible, right? If you're new here, uh, just a heads up, I have really nothing for you, right? If you're here to hear my thoughts, that would have been a big waste of time at the, you know, at the best of times. But we're here to hear the word of the Lord. It is our authority. It is where our hope lies this morning. And so if you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and slip up your hand. Maybe you don't own one. Just keep the one they're giving you. But we want to study God's word together. This is what we do Sunday after Sunday. We look to see what does the Bible say in a world full of chaos and, 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 and hopelessness. Where is our hope? Well, we believe our hope is found within the word of God. And so this morning, as we look to the word of God, we turn to John chapter 19, verse 38. John chapter 19, verse 38. And we're just, what we're going to do this morning, we're just going to go verse by verse through these things. Uh, typically, I'll read everything first, and then we'll break it down. But today, we're just going to get right into it. And we're going to see what happened after Jesus died. As we look this morning into his word, we're going to see that because of these things, because of what Christ has done, we have hope today. So let us look to Jesus. After he died, the first thing we're going to see is that Jesus was prepared respectfully in love. His body was prepared respectfully in love. We're going to see this in verses 38 to 42. We read verse 38. After these things, after the crucifixion of Christ, after him dying, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. All right, so the scene is Christ has been crucified between two thieves, and as he is there, the wrath of God is poured out on Christ. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And by the time he is done taking the wrath of God for my sin and your sin, he says it is finished, and then he dies. What will happen now to Jesus' body? Well, Joseph of Arimathea says, I would like to take his body. Joseph of Arimathea, why Arimathea? That's where he's from. It's about 30 kilometers northwest of Jerusalem. This guy, he, he was kind of the upper echelon of religion at that time. He was one of the 70 of the Sanhedrin. There was the 70 plus the high priest. He was a respected member of the council. Luke 23, 50 says that he had not consented on this day when, when the chief priest and, and the Sanhedrin had said Jesus should be crucified. He went against that. He, he said, that, I don't think that's what should be done. But of course, he was in the minority and Christ was crucified. Matthew also tells us that he was a rich man. But what John says here is that he had been a disciple, but for 
the fear of man, he remained quiet. But on this day, it's like he says, I don't care anymore. I don't care who knows that I'm a follower of Christ. I'm going to follow him. And so he stood up against the council, and now he says, I want his body. And now think about what he's saying. He's he's saying, I want to take care of that man who has been crucified, who gets crucified, criminals, people who are not good. Now the charges against Jesus both were for the things that he had supposedly done against the Jews, being blasphemous, calling himself the Son of God, and for what he had done against the Romans, supposedly setting up a kingdom of his own, being in rebellion against the Romans. And so there was nobody who was going to claim him, but Joseph does. He says, I will take his body. Normally what would happen, the Romans, uh, they were uh, brutal people. If you were crucified, they would just leave your body up there. Let the vultures take care of you. That's how disrespectful they were to those who were criminals. The Jews, they were different. They would say, okay, let's give them a burial. But they can't be with family members because, you know, that's going to desecrate the the grave. So let let us put them in a common grave. And that was their intention for the Lord Jesus, that he would have a a dishonorable burial just like his death. But this is not God's plan. In fact, hundreds of years earlier, Isaiah said this of Christ, Isaiah 53, 9, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Hundreds of years earlier, there, there was predicted that Christ would die. He who was perfect, who had done nothing wrong, he was killed. Their intention was that he would be buried with the wicked, and instead, he is given the tomb of a rich man, the tomb of Joseph. And so now he will have a, a, an honorable burial. But he's not alone in his braveness, in his courage at this time. There's also another one. Nicodemus, verse 39. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And Nicodemus was also uh, one of these respected religious people, and he had come to Jesus at night back in John chapter 3. He had come, why? Because he feared what his peers would say about him, and so he had come to him at night, and Jesus had told him, listen, you must be born again. And he was like, what? How's that going to work? How do you get born again? He had no clue. But we can see that those words that had begun to have a, an impact on his life because by the time you get to John chapter 7, they're, they're kind of berating the character of Jesus. And he stands up and says, hey, should we not let, let him speak for himself? But he had remained kind of quiet still. And so even... As, as uh, Joseph has put himself on the line, now Nicodemus does. It says that he brought the spices. And there was this mixture of myrrh and aloes. Myrrh was a fragrant resin used by Egyptians in, embal- in embalming. But the Jews, they had turned it into a powder and mixed it with aloes. Itself a powder of aromatic sandalwood, right? So these spices were used to overcome the smell of putrefaction, uh, putrefaction sorry, in laying a person down for burial. And we are told in the Gospel of Matthew that Joseph provided the linen bandages and the tomb, and here we see Nicodemus providing the spices, plentiful, 75 pounds. So here we have these two men 
who up until this day had been disciples secretly. When the 11, where's the 11 at this point? They're nowhere to be seen. But these two secret disciples now are being, making sure that Jesus is getting a burial that he is due, a burial for a king. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews, right? So they, they would take the, the, the body and they would, they would first put the spices down with the linen cloths and then they would wrap the body. It says here that the body was bound. They would just keep going around and around and around so the, you know, so the body would be like this. And then they would have this, this face cloth that we're gonna see in a moment that would keep the jaw um, held closed. This was what they had done for Christ. And then it says in verse 30, 41, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. A brand new tomb, right? We're gonna see as we come to Sunday, when they, when they look into the tomb, they're not like, okay, was, was that Jesus' body or was that somebody else's body? There's only one body who's ever been put in here, and this is Jesus' body that's being put into this, this tomb. And we find out, as we're gonna continue on, that there's this opening that's down low, down low. And so, so everybody has to stoop in, right? You can't just walk in. It wasn't like a, you know, a six-foot opening, but a, an opening where they could get in but they had to stoop down. It's super important that this tomb is close. Why? Because the Sabbath is coming. And as soon as the sun goes down, everybody has to stop the work. And so they come and they, they get Jesus' body into the tomb. We're gonna find out also that the ladies from other gospels, we would hear that the, there was ladies watching where he had been put in. This burial that he's being given is way beyond what his family ever would have been able to give him. And so what we're even seeing now, and this is, I, I found this fascinating as I was studying this week, Jesus' exaltation is beginning now. You know, it's not, not till, it doesn't wait till Sunday. Even now in his burial, he's being exalted. Sproul says this, we often look the, overlook the fact that the transition from humiliation to exaltation did not begin at his resurrection, but rather at his burial. He's being buried as a king, as he is. And so, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the day the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. He's put into the tomb. We read from the other gospels that there's a stone rolled in front of it. There's a seal placed over that. And then a guard, a Roman guard, is placed there as well because the Jews are thinking, hey, they're just going to steal the body and then they're going to make up a story about him rising from the dead. So let's put some guards there. I love thinking about these two men, Nicodemus and Joseph. They show us that it's never too late to do the right thing, right? I mean, how many of you, because of pressure at school or pressure at work or even at Easter dinner, you kind of shrink back when it comes to your faith? You don't want to stand out. You don't want people to make fun of you. You don't want you know, to be like one of those fanatics, one of those religious types, one of those intolerant people, whatever. There's all kinds of great names for Christians out there, right? And, 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 and so you kind of just shrink back. And that had been really the story of Joseph and Nicodemus until now. 
until now. And now, like 2,000 years later, we're still talking about Joseph and Nicodemus because they took a stand for Christ. Now, I want to just encourage you this morning, let us be like Joseph and Nicodemus. Let us take a stand for Christ. Maybe that has not been your habit before, but I want to encourage you, today is the day. No more playing games with the Lord. No more, no more like one foot in the world and one foot in with Christ. Now all in for him because he is worthy. He is, he is the one who has risen again. We're going to read that in just a moment. We don't, want, we don't want to shrink back anymore. How many people are desperate to hear what we have to say about Jesus Christ? And so let us learn from these men and be bold for him. Just think about this day. How can we remain silent? At the beginning of this Friday, humiliation for Christ. If you, if you were with us on Friday, we, we, we remember the fact that disciples all fled. Peter, his closest guy, betrayed him three times. He went before the, the high priest. There's this mock trial, and they're making things up, and and, and, and finally they say, oh, he's, he's blasphemous, okay, let, let's, 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 he's, let's take him to Pilate. And then they got like, well, that's not going to work for a criminal trial. He's trying to take over uh, Jerusalem. He's trying, to, he's trying to go against Rome. We got to kill this guy. And so Pilate, because he was weak, allows them to get away with this. He knew he was innocent. But, you know, when Joseph comes asking for the body, does he say no? He was like, no, you can have him. He knew he wasn't truly a criminal. And he was weak, but Jesus then was what? He's beaten, he's spit upon, he's scourged. And then, as I've already mentioned, then he's placed upon the cross. And all that physical agony and the emotional agony of everyone being all alone in this, that's, that's nothing compared to this. My sin and your sin is placed upon Christ. Why is he doing this? Because it's our only hope. Every single one of us have a sin problem. One sin makes us guilty before God. And, if, and, and that one sin requires that if God be just, it must have consequences. And so God said, I'll take that on myself. I'll take their debt. I'll go upon the cross. I'll take my sin, their sin upon me. Even though he was perfect, he did not deserve to die, but he took my sin and your sin and all who would place their trust in him on himself. And as he hung on that cross, the wrath of God was poured out on him. This church is teaching right now that there was no wrath. It was only the wrath of men. If that's the case, we got no hope because that, then the wrath's still on me and the wrath's still on you. And that wrath results in a place called hell. You probably heard about it, even if you're just here for the first time. Like, yeah, I've heard about that place. It's for real. It's not just in the cartoons. In a place of eternal judgment. That's why Jesus came. And then he died. And if that's the end of the story, then we still have no hope. But that's not the end of the story. But that's what Christ has done. So as we leave here, how can you remain silent about that? Like we were hopeless. We had nothing, but he died for us. But as I mentioned, if that's all there is, if he just died and then was buried, then we still have no hope. But that's not the end of the story. The proof of the exaltation was coming. 
Look to Jesus. Secondly, Jesus was powerfully risen to life. He was powerfully risen to life. We read in verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Right? The scene here, we're going we're gonna, to, again, with the other Gospels, John just focused on Mary, but the other Gospels show us that there was other ladies with him, uh, with her, sorry. And, and in verse 2, we see she uses the plural we. So it's she and a few other ladies. They, they, they can't sleep. They can't sleep. They, 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 they have seen Jesus buried. They had to wait for the Sabbath. And now they want to go and anoint his body, the Gospel of Mark tells us. And so they've got some spices. They want to go. And they just go, right? Now, now what I love about these guys is like, um, wait a minute. How's this supposed to work? It's a bunch of ladies. There's a big old stone, a Roman guard, and a seal. But they don't care. They, they have to do something. They love Jesus so much, we'll figure it out when we get there, right? So they get there, and, and when Mary gets there, she sees that the, the stone has been removed. It's not there anymore. I love what Andrew says about Mary. She was last at the cross and first at his grave. She stayed longest there and was soonest here. She could not rest until she was up to seek him. She sought him while it was yet dark, even before she had light to seek him by. In a word, having received much, she loved much. And loving much, she did much in order to prove the reality of her love. Mary Magdalene, she had had seven demons taken from her, cast away from her. She had been fully healed by the Lord Jesus Christ and given new life. And so she loved him much. She knew how much she had been forgiven. And she couldn't help but, but do something for the Lord. Does that describe you this morning? Do you understand how much God has forgiven you through Jesus Christ? Can, are you just like, I, what can I do for him today? Every morning when you wake up, you're like, Lord, what can I do for you today? You've done everything for me. How could I not live for you? I pray that that's your heart this morning, that, that we, you would be like these women who are just like, I, 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 maybe I'll, I'll make a plan later, Jesus, but I, I just want to be used of you, right? And so they're, they're off to the tomb. They get there, and it's open. So what did she do? She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. What's Mary's conclusion? Grave robbers. Grave robbers. Now, here's the crazy thing. I mean, you talk about strange times to live in, okay? This was a common occurrence, okay? So much so that there was, a, there was a penalty of death if you were caught doing this, okay? They had to come up with consequences for doing this because of how common it was, right? And, and even, the, and even the, the, the Sanhedrin were like, hey, hey, listen, we got to make sure that we have a, a Roman guard there to make sure he doesn't get stolen out because you know, that's what they're going to do. They're going to say he's risen or something, all right? And so Mary's like, he's gone. He's gone. So she runs to Peter. Peter's still seen as the leader, even though he's denied Christ three times on that Friday night. She goes to him, and then she also goes to John's house. 
right? We can see in the Greek, and we're going to see a little bit later in the context here, they're in different places. She goes to both of them, and she's like, Jesus is gone. It wasn't bad enough that they had him crucified. Now some wicked people have stolen his body, and I have no idea where he is. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. All right? Who's this, who's this disciple Jesus loved? Well, it's John, right? It's John. And, 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 and you know, John's the one writing this, and he's and playing it back in his mind. It's years later, right? And he's like, hey, we started walking, you know, and then we started jogging, and then we started running, and, and I won. I got there first, right? I got there first, and, and Peter was a little bit behind me. And, and what does he do when he gets there? It says that he stooped to look in. Again, this, this opening, it's low, and so he looks to look in, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. I mean, would you? You know, it's, it's, it depends on your personality type, right? Isn't it cool how God's created us all differently, right? And, and, and so John actually had seen Jesus crucified. The other disciples had not. He had, he had watched from a distance, and, 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 and even while Jesus was hanging on the cross, he had given the task of looking after his mother to John. And, and so we, we, we see that he had seen him. Like, would you want to see Jesus again after seeing that broken body? And so he just, he just kind of looks in. And, and he could see that there's, there's this linen cloth. It's just laying there. Well, Peter... Here he comes. Anybody think that Peter stays outside? Okay. If you, if, you're, if you know anything about the Bible and you know anything about Peter, he's the guy who, who, who acts first and then thinks later, right? So he's, he just runs right in. Peter says, says verse 6, And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he also saw the linen cloths lying there. Right? So he, he, he goes in and he's taking a, a greater look. In the, in the Greek we can see... You know, John's just kind of taking a quick peek, okay? Now we're seeing Peter, he's looking. And as he looks, it says in verse 7, in the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, he's also seeing this, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. How many of you guys like, like the CSI thing? Like there's so many, there's obviously most of you probably do because every show out there, it seems like that's what's going on now, like some evidence, some crime. What is the scene saying? This is what the Bible is teaching us. What, what, is, what is the evidence pointing to? What, what, what is taking place? Does the evidence say that Jesus' body has been stolen? I mean, there's linen cloths lying there. And then, there, and then over here, the cloth that would have kept his head, like his jaw closed and been wrapped around his head, it's folded up over here. Like, who does that if they're robbing graves? Anybody doing that? Like, the only thing valuable in the tomb was the spices, right? You really think they would have come in, let's unwrap this body, okay, now let's put it back together, and then now ooh, let's wrap this together, and now we're going to take the body up. The evidence does not suggest that whatsoever. Well, John's got to take a look for himself. Verse 8, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. 
The seeing here is that he perceived with understanding. He, he can understand what's happening. Now, the evidence is, is pointing to the fact that, that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, what, what, why? What, what is the scene showing that they, they would come to that conclusion? Well, the claws are just intact still. It's as if the body has just come right through them. There's, no, there's been no unwrapping. There's not like spices all over the tomb. It, it's, just, it's just sitting there. The, the way that this, this is phrased is as if it has not even moved. The way that Joseph and Nicodemus had left his body there in the tomb is exactly where those cloths are still. And then this cloth has been wrapped up and placed off to the side. All the evidence shows that it was not a grave robbery. Besides that, where are the, where are the Roman guards? How, that, how did that take place, right? Where's the, where's the, where's the, where's the stone? Where, where, what, what's happened here? And the other thing, some theories out there is like, well, Jesus wasn't really dead when they put him in the tomb. He was just really weak. And so while he lay there in the tomb, he got like, oh, okay, I'm awake now, right? Does the evidence show that, that would, that's what take place here? No, because everything would have been all over the place, Right? If you're unwrapping all that on your own, it would have been, so the scene, the evidence shows, both by Peter and John, two witnesses, which you need in a court of law, two witnesses have said that the evidence points to the fact that he had not been stolen away. And for John, this is enough. He looks, he believes that Jesus has risen. Now, what's really fascinating is what he says in verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. I love how we're just kind of taken along in this. Don't you, don't you, just is like we're getting like a bird's eye view of everything that's taken place here. They, they didn't understand yet. It wasn't like you're like, oh, wait a minute, Isaiah 53. Jesus is supposed to rise from the dead. So I guess let's pretend that's what happened. Like, let's, let's take the body away. Let, like they have no idea still. They, they haven't, haven't woken up to the fact that the scriptures show over and over and over again that Jesus must suffer and die and then rise again. In the Old Testament, there are many texts that point to that. Isaiah 53 being one amazing text. If you have never written Isaiah, or sorry, read Isaiah 53, I just encourage you, read that for yourself to see how Christ fulfilled everything that was said in Isaiah 53. Another really neat thing as we read this is that John is saying, all we had was our eyewitness. We didn't have the more sure witness of the word of God yet. The word of God is more sure than my senses. If God's word says it, we can believe it. And this is what John is saying. He has risen. All the evidence points to it. If he is risen, then there's hope for you and I today. And then we read this. Then the disciples went back to their homes. <clears throat> They're not sure what all this means yet. They go back to their homes. But Peter to his place and John to his place. 
John is beginning to understand, but not fully yet. All the evidence has shown that Jesus' body has raised, been raised from the dead. All the evidence points to this fact of the empty tomb. We weren't there. That was 2,000 years ago. But there was a lot of people who were anti-Jesus back in those days. If there was a body to be found, do we not think that they would have found it? Do we not think that at some point they would have been like, hey, we finally found it. Do you think there wouldn't have been people looking for his body? Do you think that they would have been like, oh, well, they said it, so I guess this must be true. That's not the case. The way that that church so quickly gained in popularity, how, how, how so, thousands literally coming to faith in Jerusalem, do you think that any of that happens without an empty tomb? So important for us to just stop and be assured in our faith. The facts are clear. Jesus has risen from the dead. This morning, do you believe? Do you believe that he has risen from the dead? Do you understand why this is good news? Romans 10, 9 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God that is due for my sin and for your sin. If you would place your trust in him and follow him and repent of your sin, then you will be saved. This is the promise from the scriptures as a result of Christ being risen from the dead. Look to Jesus. Thirdly, Jesus was personally received as Lord. Jesus was personally received as Lord. The focus now moves away from Peter and John and back to Mary. We're not told what happened. Like, you know, the, kind of the, whole, the whole scene shifted, Peter and John running. We, I don't know if Mary's just like she kind of walked back, right? But when she gets there, she's now by herself. And it says here that Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She's all by herself. She's heartbroken. The, the word here for weeping, it's like, it's, it's wailing. It, it's sobbing. This is the picture of Mary. She is so distraught. How, why? Why would they steal Jesus' body? I, I, I just want to see him one more time. And she, she's just distraught. She doesn't know what she's supposed to do. And so she, she stoops and she looks down into the tomb one more time. Like, did somebody somehow miss him? Like, like, where can he be? This is the mindset of Mary. It says in verse 12, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Well, that's pretty exciting, right? Like, like Peter and John didn't get to see that. And so, so these angels are there now, and they're, you know, she, she's looking in. She's surely at this point, she's like, praise the Lord. I was wrong. I was wrong. What's going on, angels? 
I can't wait to hear. Tell me the story. What, is that what happens? They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Not even angels are knocking her out of this. She just, you see Mary, she's just so distraught. I mean, there's angels in the tomb. Read the scriptures. Angels show up, people are changed. Right? Not Mary, though. She's just so sad. So heartbroken. She's missing what God's doing here. Hey, hey, Mary. Here's a clue. Angels in the tomb. Last time we seen some angels associated with Christ, they were announcing his coming. Hint, hint. She's so consumed with sorrow that she doesn't see what's going on around her. It's not unlike us sometimes. Maybe this morning you're so consumed with the problems you're facing that it's hard for you to see the mercies of God in your life. Be assured that the Lord is there, just as he was for Mary. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. She turns, she had been looking in the tomb, and now she turns around and, and there's Jesus. But she doesn't know it's him. I mean, would that be your first thought? If you're in Mary's state of mind, that, that it's Jesus? I mean, she's just looking for his body, that she may be able to help anoint his body. That's, that's all she's looking for. She doesn't recognize him. Her, her, her mind is still wrapped up in, in her, her task of trying to get to him. I mean, all of our minds would have a tough time computing what was in front of her at that point, right? We, we, we can't fault Mary in this. Maybe it's all the tears. We don't know. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. She's, she's this one track, one track. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, maybe you didn't understand what was going on here, why Jesus was here, and you've taken his body somewhere. But if you could just tell me where it is. I'm not mad. I just want to know where it is. I just want to know where his body is. Isn't that, isn't that great, the way that Jesus put it? Whom are you seeking? Hint, hint, Mary. I'm right here. I'm right here. Whom are you seeking? And then Jesus says to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Roboni, which means teacher. It's such an intimate picture here. So beautiful. Many of you have had Jesus do the same thing to you. He's called out your name. And you finally seen, you finally heard and seen that it was him. 
You walk through life shaking your fist at him, angry about so many things, and then Jesus tenderly says your name, and for the first time you see it's him. This is the picture that's going on here. Henderson puts it like this. With infinite tenderness and warmth in a tone which resembled that of former days, Jesus now addresses Mary by using just one word, Miriam, the original Aramaic name by which her parents and friends must have addressed her many a time, the name which Jesus had always used in speaking to her, is employed also in this instance. Jesus addresses her by her native name in her native tongue. The scenes in the garden have changed. If you were with us when we started Genesis, we know that when sin came into this world, God came into the garden to be with Adam and Eve. But what happened? They hid themselves from him because of their shame, because of their sin. They, they didn't want to come into his presence. And because of sin, because of shame, Jesus had to, uh, the Lord had to separate himself from them. But now in the garden, he calls out her name and it says what? She embraces him. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary is clinging to Jesus. We don't know. It's like she just got her, her, her arms around his feet, you know, his legs. Like just, I can't believe it's him. Is she hugging him? We don't know. But Jesus is like, hey, 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 okay, don't cling to me, right? What's, like, why is he saying this? We got stuff to do, Mary. We got stuff to do. I'm going to ascend to the Father. Things have changed now. I've, I'm resurrected and in 40 days, we know if we continue to read the scriptures, he's ascending to the right hand of the Father. He is no longer for humanity to walk with Jesus in that way. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to be with them. And so he says, I'm going to go ascend to the Father, but go tell those dogs, those rebellious punks. Is that, like, is that what he uses for the disciples? Yeah, tell Peter, yeah, good one, Peter. I'm going to die for you, good one. Is that what he does? He says, go to my brothers. Is that what it says in your translation? Maybe mine's wrong. It says my brothers. What, what kind of love is that? That, that? that Jesus in advance is already forgiving them. They're going to have their moments. If you continue to read the Gospels, I encourage you to do so. Read the rest of John after you leave this place. But he goes to them. He says, hey, go to my brothers. And he says, I go to my father and what? And your father. Because Jesus Christ has died, you and I can now be reconciled to God. Because he's died and risen again, our sins can be forgiven. Our, our, our broken relationship is now can be mended. We can be adopted as sons and daughters of God. This is what he's offering to you and I this morning. Ryle says this, this indeed is a love that passes knowledge. To trust deserters and to show confidence in backsliders was a compassion which man can hardly understand. And yet that's what he offers to you and I this morning. Maybe it's been like 20 years since you've been in a church and you're like, I got, you know, I don't even know what I'm doing here. And how long does this preacher preach? Okay, when's lunch? 
Listen, I believe God has you here for a purpose. He wants you to hear that you can be forgiven. He wants you to know that though you have walked in rebellion against him, his gift of life is being offered to you today. If you would just repent of your sin and place your trust in him and follow him. It should blow your mind, because it's it, it, all of us. Why would God do that? Just because he's, because of who he is. Because he's loving. Because he's compassionate. Because we deserve it, not because we deserve it. No one here deserves it. But because of who he is. And then we see Mary Magdalene says what? He went out and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. She, she went and told them the message, and then he said, she said, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord this morning. Have you seen the Lord? None of us have had the privilege that Mary has here. It is so awesome that, that she gets to see Jesus first. She just loved him so much. You just see it in all her actions. She's like, I don't care what anybody thinks. Right? They can call me crazy. I just, I want to find Jesus, and she finds him. But not in the way she had hoped. He's so much better. So much better. He is risen again, and she proclaims, I have seen the Lord. Ralph says this, those who love Christ must diligently and perseveringly, sorry, those who love Christ most diligently and perseveringly are those who receive most privileges from Christ's hand. Those who honor Christ will be honored by him. For all those of us who are in Christ today, we hope one day we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But have you seen him? Not physically, but have you seen that, that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe that this morning with all of your being? Do you, have, you, have you went all in on trusting in Christ? You don't care who knows. You don't care who, 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 who comes against you as a result of it. You're going to follow him for the rest of your days. Is that your story this morning? This morning, whom are you seeking? Who are you seeking? I pray that you can say with Mary, I have seen the Lord. This morning, I believe, Trevor Peacock, I believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is the Son of God, fully God, fully man, come to this earth. He lived the perfect life. And on that Friday, he laid down his life for me, for my sins, though they are many. My past sins, my present sins, my future sins have all been paid for by his sacrifice. And as my God was laid in the tomb, he awaited that third day. And then he rose again. And today he sits at the right hand of the Father and he is coming back soon soon. He's coming back. And when he comes, he's coming on a white horse and he is coming with his army and he's bringing a judgment upon this earth. And then he will free this land, free this earth from its death, from its sin, from its sorrow. 
And all of those of us who've been waiting for him will cry out in worship to him. And then there will be no more sin and death. and Satan will be defeated. Are you waiting for that day? Are you longing for that day? Are you ready? Some of you here can relate to Mary in the sense that you're just, you're just, there's just so much hurt in your life, so much sorrow. You feel that lostness as you go to bed at night. You, you're just like, why do I keep feeling like I, what's the answer? How do I, how do I, how do I find hope in this world? Please hear me this morning. Jesus Christ is that hope you long for and you look for. He has come that you might have life and have it abundantly. See him for who he is this morning. He pleads with you. He tells you this morning, turn from your sin and follow him and find salvation. I pray that you will. Let me pray. Lord God, we love you. So many of us here this morning are now children of God because of what Christ has done. Lord, we were enemies of you. We walked in rebellion against you, and yet, Lord, at one time you came and you whispered our name and you opened our eyes to see who you truly are. Lord, we praise you for that this morning. Lord, you alone are our hope. Lord, you alone are that what we seek today. And Lord, we believe. We're asking as your people, Lord, would you help us to, to be as Joseph and Nicodemus? Lord, would you help us to, to stop fleeing from, from the fear of people and just live for you, live fully for you? Lord, help us to love you well as we see Mary do here. And God, I, I'm, just, I'm just thinking about those who maybe came in here this morning begrudgingly. They didn't want to be here. God, would you open their eyes right now to see that you love them? Would you cause them to be broken over their sin, to see your arms open wide to them? And Lord, for the first time, may they cling to you and find life. Lord, cause them to be born again, not because they deserve it, but because you are an awesome Savior. Lord, thank you. Thank you for meeting with us this morning, for teaching us. Lord, lead us in the way everlasting, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.